Dear listeners, this is Interfaith-ish. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and every other Wednesday right here on Tacoma Radio, we bring you bold conversations about what we believe, why we believe, and how we navigate the common ground and differences between our traditions. Recently, I was helping with a children's class where the students were discussing the topic of equality. The question came up of how someone would be able to join the class if they use a wheelchair and the children quickly pointed to the ramp alongside the building as evidence that an effort had been made to make the entrance accessible. But on my way out of the class, I noticed that at the end of the sidewalk connecting the wheelchair ramp, there was a two-inch curb that would prove pretty challenging for anyone coming in or out that didn't have someone helping them. So it was a good reminder that oftentimes when we think about accessibility we can take a lot of things for granted or we think we've arrived at a solution when actually we haven't thought it all the way through and particularly in the context of our religious communities we have to ask what does it mean to create spaces that are both physically accessible and spiritually accessible as well so to help me explore these topics this morning i'm joined by Luby Ismail, founder and president of Connecting Cultures, LLC. Luby is a motivational speaker and a trainer who specializes in cultural competence, particularly in Arab cultures and Islamophobia. Thank you so much for being here with us this Thank morning. Thank you. And also joining us is Silas Kalam, a student leader at Gallaudet University who serves the campus Jewish community as communications and public relations manager for their campus Hillel. Good morning to you, Silas. Good morning. Very nice to be here with you both. Excellent. I should say that we have a sign language interpreter assisting us this morning, so that's why you'll hear a female voice for our male guest, Silas. I want to first begin by acknowledging that putting together this episode was a uniquely challenging and ultimately very educational experience for me personally. Um, In addition to the typical back and forth that we usually have with guests trying to coordinate um, schedules, I've had a lot of conversations with um, the various point people at Gallaudet about what would be needed to conduct a radio interview in sign language, what are the ethical considerations of who would be an interpreter, and uh, a number of these conversations were done over the phone with the help of an interpreter, which was also a very new experience for me. Mm. Um, so I want to appreciate Silas and our, our interpreters and the folks at Gallaudet um, for really accompanying me as I stumbled along uh, on this journey of uh, bringing about what was a fairly simplistic idea. Of, hey, let's talk to someone who can, can uh, describe what engaging with religion um, from the perspective of the deaf community, would would be like. Um, and of course, Libby, one of the first questions that you asked me when we were putting this together before accepting uh, the invitation to be on the program was, where's the radio station located, and can I get there in a wheelchair? Um, so thankfully, even though Tacoma Radio is a little shoebox studio, uh, it is, uh, to the point of my earlier story, uh, at least actually on street level. Yes. <laughs> Um, so, so I want to just uh, begin by by talking with the both of you um, about what you think about this idea of physical accessibility of a space being an outward expression of how accessible it is to the spirit as as well. Mm-hmm. Libby, what do you think? For me, living with multiple sclerosis for the last uh, twenty plus years. 
it's really been an evolution in a sense that I at first began with just uh, needing a cane. And I remember saying as long as there's a rail to hold, I could do steps. Uh, however, after a few years, then it was more evident that I really needed uh, to use a walker. And that was requiring not only a rail, but having a ramp and recognizing is it steep enough and easy enough. And then, of course, I graduated now to this power chair. Mm. And that's really been a, a sense of how that's impacted my sense of being able to practice my faith in a place of worship. Because the first focus for me is not about the worship. It's about can I get into the space? Is it going to be big enough? Is it going to be easy enough? And all those senses of preparation can be a distraction to the very reason of the religious uh, experience and the religious worship that I'm wanting to do. Do you think that it becomes a material distraction or do you feel like you've reckoned with it in a way that really is about mindfulness just in the way that anybody moving through the world should be mindful of of the steps that they take? Mm, definitely mindfulness, reflection, uh, recognizing also uh, the, the, for me, not being born with a disability has meant that I've been having to adapt and being able to recognize sometimes for Friday prayers, for example, the physical becomes an emotional, mental distraction. And therefore, I look on my computer or on my phone or I say, you know what, I can just stay right here in my home and have the experience without the distractions. Silas, what about what about for you? Um, how in your experience have you seen the the interweaving of of being welcome by the physical accessibility as well as the spiritual accessibility? So I was born deaf and grew up deaf my entire life. It's a difficult topic to answer because it would always, I depended on interpreting services for communication entirely. So if I was going to a temple or a church or really any kind of a place that didn't provide interpreting services, then, then there's no spiritual access because I don't have any communicative mm -hmm. access. Something unique about Judaism is that there's a, uh, I'm probably all religions perhaps are very community focused, but Judaism is for sure. And if, if I was by myself in temple, uh, maybe with an interpreter, maybe without an interpreter, I think the sense is that I'm not actually connecting to the community because there's no sense of spiritual cohesion or connection. Mm -hmm. so, um, so that's a, that's a good a good point, Silas. And and I think also as as somebody who's been learning through this this process of putting this show together, part of my own learning um, I recognize is is conscientiously also changing my tendency to think. Um, about things like being deaf or using a wheelchair as um, foremost as a handicap 
as um, a, and to use negative language with talking about them um, that someone can't hear or is confined to a wheelchair. Um, so how do you feel, Silas, uh, how each of us can make strides to dismantle some of this perception? I mean, I think, honestly, that happens through meeting people with disabilities, uh, listening to our stories, listening to our experiences. There's no one deaf experience, just as there's no one experience of a person who uses a wheelchair. There's no one blind experience, et cetera. So we all have our different backgrounds. We all have uh, our different experiences and, and different interests that we do. Mm -hmm. Libby, what about, what about for you? How, um, how have you, uh, you know, as, as somebody who is a trainer and, and, and works with groups often, how, how have you addressed the, this uh, negative perception question? Well, I've always said that disability is a 24-7 open enrollment, that mm. anybody can be, quote-unquote, disabled, or as, as I like to say, diverse ability. And uh, too often disability is seen as a deficit uh, rather than an asset, you know, because... That has been my number one thing as a Muslim, but also now as a person with a obvious disability using a power chair, is how to break the barrier bias, how to break the stereotypes, the assumptions, because I know the labels on me when people see me using this chair is can't, that I can't work, that I can't drive, that I can't travel, that I can't even be fluent and speak at times. And, uh, and there is definitely this very frustration because I want people to talk to me, but too often the look and focus is on this chair. And I am as as uh, as I've always said, is I'm much more than this chair. And that's been one of the things that I'm sure for you, Silas, as someone who's deaf, is too often people want to talk to you about being deaf, and, it, and there's so much more about who you are and about your identity that's far more interesting. Uh, but yet we've got to get over Mm -hmm. the sense of people focused on the difference that they see. Mm -hmm. So, Libby, Silas before was talking about some of the um, uh, religious and, and uh, community activities that you participate in when, when you're, you're part of a religious group. Mm -hmm. um, and there are plenty of activities that we, we might take for granted that would require a shift or an accommodation to involve um, or perhaps, perhaps center someone who, who is deaf or, or moves in a wheelchair. Um, what are some examples of, of some of the typical rituals or communal activities um, in, each of, in your tradition um, that you, you do differently? Such, you, you talked a little bit about prayer before. Mm -hmm. Definitely prayer uh, for anyone who has seen the Muslim uh, prayer and when I was able is to be able to stand and to also bend and then and then bow down on the floor and over time I would but now I have to do my prayer uh, 
from sitting. Mm -hmm. And that's acceptable because you, again, are connecting with your creator and you are conveying gratitude and remembrance and being mindful of the blessings and asking God, or in Arabic, as we say, Allah, uh, for guidance, for forgiveness, uh, for strength. And that can be done sitting. It can be done standing. It can be done traditionally. And uh, I think that that's something that I've had. Honestly, that's been a challenge for me because, again, I wasn't born with this mm -hmm. disability. Mm -hmm. Silas, when we met um, uh, before this, uh, before the interview, you talked about how music, which plays a big role in Jewish prayer service, um, is is changed and is different mm. in deaf communities. Can you tell us a little bit about how um, the idea of music uh, works in your context? So, for example, um, you might be interested to know that we do still use music, but the music that we use will be that of a high vibration, for example, so that we can feel it for those who don't have enough residual hearing. Um, for Rosh Hashanah, for example, the Jewish New Year, um, people use a shofar, the ram's horn. Um, and we also use a shofar. In addition, we have a, a large drum that gets beat upon. Um, and that's just to ensure that everybody has access to that moment of the holiday, that ritual. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What What would you say, um, Silas? Are Are some of the is some of the work that our religious institutions and communities could continue to to do better? I understand that you're not just part of the the Hillel group on the campus of Gallaudet University but you also uh, have been involved with activities in the greater Jewish community in, in, in the D.C. area. Um, so what, what do you see as, as ways in which the broader religious communities could do better uh, in your instance? I think one thing is it's not always, as you said, it's not always about accommodating people with disabilities in, in a particular place, but also maybe learning from our places. So what we do um, when we're on campus, for example, there may be ways that they could adapt or accommodate some of those things. Uh, it could become part of the rituals that they do in their worship spaces. What's an example? Well, like I, I said before, you know, for Rosh Hashanah, for the Jewish New Year, using a drum mm -hmm. to increase uh, people's access to that moment of, of the call to prayer or the call to action. Um, and I think for people with disabilities, um, having them doing Torah readings, having them being on the Bema, giving presentations, being active in the leadership of different events and just being part of the norm is, is another piece mm -hmm. of advice. Libby, what about for for you in in most mosques that you you visit? Do you feel welcome? Do you feel like there are are ways in which the community has has embraced um, yourself and other people who use a wheelchair? Well, for me, I would say I have learned to find the place, the mosque that most has been accessible for me and unfortunately there is a mosque just five minutes away from me but i will go out of my way and drive that extra 20 minutes 30 minutes to go to a, a masjid or a mosque that's more 
of ease. And that starts with just parking. You know, I have a, a ramp uh, entry van and, uh, and a regular so-called handicap space is insufficient. I need that accessible lane. So when I come into a place of worship or to a religious event, does it have access lane entry into uh, the parking space? Then looking at the ramp. And then I have to say one of the feelings of uncertainty was how the response for my chair to be rolling onto the prayer carpet. Mm -hmm. And I used to feel I need to stay at the edge because the people who go into this place of worship, they take off their shoes. And I don't take off my shoes uh, when I'm using my chair. And what was most meaningful to me was when I was in Medina and Mecca last week, that I saw people using chairs and scooters, and they not only got onto the prayer carpet, that we moved into the space even more, so to not just be on the edge. And that, for me, was so empowering, not to feel like, well, I have to stay behind, but I, too, can be as much forward in the prayer space. And that was okay, that people weren't going to be saying, oh, your chair and the wheels are dirty. You shouldn't be on the carpet. Mm -hmm. So, Libby, you, you just mentioned a, a little bit of your, your recent trip. Mm -hmm. um, you had an amazing experience traveling to the Muslim holy sites in Saudi Arabia. So tell us a little bit more um, about the context of that trip and, and what you experienced. Mm -hmm. Well, the context is of uh, an organization called Mohsen, and it is out of Chicago, and it has developed and created this Umrah experience. And Umrah is the name of the, the journey and the experience to Mecca and Medina that isn't necessarily the Hajj, which is once a year. And this organization was very committed to making the experience and the journey of Umrah accessible. We had families who have uh, young people, who children who are autistic, uh, Down syndrome. We had some Muslims who were deaf, so they had a, a sign language interpreter. And for me and for others who needed uh, accessibility with a wheelchair. And I was most impressed by Mohsen because they gave us the permission to say, we are here to take care of those needs so that you can have that religious experience. And I, I was really amazed because to go from Maryland uh, through uh, Turkey and then to Saudi Arabia and to find the sites were accessible, but, all, but that Mohsen really made sure. Because what's so important for us, and I'm now presuming, I'm joking, the spokesperson for people with disabilities, mm -hmm. but anybody wants what? Dignity. We want respect. 
and we want to be seen fully. And uh, unfortunately, of course, I know one of the members who's a quadriplegic, uh, Hisham from Iraq, uh, there was such, he said, the people looking at him and because they were amazed uh, to see somebody, but you know, the stares and sometimes the glares. Uh, I think, you know, I sometimes say people are naive offenders uh, that they just don't know. And I try to use it as an opportunity to educate uh, because, as you know, too often we raise our children thinking if they see somebody signing or somebody who's using a chair, they look. And what do the parents say? Don't look. Turn away. And that child gets that message from the beginning, something's wrong. And I prefer people to look and to, but to ask questions out of genuine curiosity. Mm -hmm. What were some of the things that you learned? I mean, this was presumably a, a once in a lifetime experience, right? That's that we're that, that Muslims yes. are Muslims are encouraged to go on pilgrimage once in a lifetime if they're able yes, to do it. I, yes. I assume that it's somewhat similar for Umrah. <clears throat> um, so, what were some of the things that you learned, particularly being with this diverse group, spiritual lessons or otherwise that you, mm. you're coming back with? You know, I, I really was humbled by the experience because there were others who are paraplegic um, and uh, parents who have children who are nonverbal, who are autistic. And uh, I really saw a, a sense of our human connection and that all of us, have struggle, all of us have challenges, all of us are vulnerable, right? And it was even more profound an experience because of the group of 100 plus of us. Mm. And that, I, I would say that was a spiritual, religious experience in itself, was the group in which we were with. Mm -hmm. And we had sheikhs uh, with us who shared about uh, what in Islam, having a disability and how that should be honored um, and, and seen with integrity and respect. Wonderful. Silas, turning to you, uh, can you tell us a little bit about some of the religious life on campus at Gallaudet University? What are, what, what are the ways in which your Hillel group helps serve um, your local Jewish community? So my organization, uh, we will have Shabbat dinners on a biweekly basis. That's a Friday night dinner. It gets a little bit more complicated towards uh, fall semester because of the high holidays, Rosh Hashanah, the New Year, and Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. So we do Shabbat dinner. Sometimes we partner with other organizations on campus um, to encourage uh, interfaith dialogue and collaboration as well. Mm -hmm. You yourself have, have multiple layers to your religious identity. So can you tell us a little bit about, about your story and, and how, how you currently uh, recognize your own Jewish identity? So I'm from Alabama. 
my family is Baptist, so Christian. I should say I didn't feel very connected to Christianity growing up. It didn't really feel that it fit me. Um, and then I came to Gallaudet University, I met Jewish people, and I wanted to learn a little bit more about this religion. It seemed very interesting to me. It was fascinating. Uh, and as I learned about Judaism, it started to click. It just felt, that's me. That's, that's actually where I find uh, my sense of self. And so I got involved with the Hillel organization on campus. Um, and started to run the social media accounts for Hillel, um, became the public relations communications director uh, eventually. But um, so that's sort of part of my conversion studies, if you will, um, helping me connect with temples, helping me learn Hebrew uh, as part of the journey to conversion. So that's my that's my situation. Mm -hmm. I feel like one of the hallmarks of Jewish culture is the heated family argument. And I wanted to know, does that type of chaotic scene translate to the deaf community or is everyone just more polite out of necessity when they're signing around the dinner table? Oh, people are very blunt in the deaf community. <laughs> uh, certainly debates are held and heated discussions are held. Um, and But it's very welcoming and warm. I feel that Hillel is my Jewish family because I don't have a Jewish family of origin, as I've explained. Mm -hmm. So Hillel has become my Jewish family. Mm -hmm. It is true that a lot of people have grown up with the feeling of being marginalized or excluded from those family discussions. So we do probably take a little bit more time to make sure people are connected and in the conversation mm -hmm. before we resume talking over each other. Mm -hmm. There's a, a special impetus within the deaf community to particularly be a good listener. Yeah. Yeah. This is Interfaith-ish, our bi-weekly show on WOWD 94.3 FM, where we discuss the common ground and differences between our traditions. This morning we're having a conversation about accessibility and what it means to create spaces that are both physically and spiritually accessible. My guests today are Libby Ismail, president of Connecting Cultures LLC, who is a Muslim woman who uses a wheelchair, and Silas Kalam, a student leader with Hillel at Gayudet University, who is deaf. In the first half of our program, we heard about our guests' journeys and practices, and now as we do every episode, in the second half of our program, it's time to turn the mics over to my dear guests to ask each other some questions of their own. This is an opportunity for you to ask each other anything you'd like to know to follow up on each other's spiritual journeys or life stories, anything you are familiar with coming in today that you want to understand better about each other's tradition, anything that you realize you may have misunderstood. On our show, we seek to model constructive and respectful dialogue in the spirit of learning, while at the same time not being afraid to roll up our sleeves and get into some interfaith-ish. So, with that, I'll turn it over to my guests, Libby and Silas. Silas, I'm, I'm really grateful to meet you, and I know that I've been to Gallaudet, and one of the things that I've, I saw was particularly Muslim students on the campus who are deaf. And there was such a sense of being heard and being acknowledged as a full human being on campus. But when you're outside of that community, the deaf community, uh, what's what is really something that you want us to know about extending respect and what are the what are the 
the questions that you get most or that you would wish to say to people, how can we convey more respect and acknowledgement to not only you, and now I'm asking you as a spokesperson of, of your deaf experience, um, but really, what should we know? Because that's something that I myself want to learn. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is to ask people about their communication preferences. Um, often the first question I get is, do I lip read? And I'm very used to that, and, and I can actually lip read that particular question, and I don't always lip read everything else you know, well enough to have a conversation with somebody. Mm -hmm. And certainly that's not everybody's experience, so it shouldn't be assumed. So just asking people, you know, how do they want to communicate? Do we want to communicate using pen and paper? Do you want me to get an interpreter? Do you want to read my lips? Sometimes there's no interpreter, and obviously that's not always an option, but starting with the, the mm -hmm. position of being open-minded and asking. Mm -hmm. Thank you. You said earlier that people focus on your wheelchair. People certainly focus on uh, hearing aids or other kind of uh, aids. What 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 kinds of questions do you wish people asked and didn't ask about your disability? Mm -hmm. I always say you're limited to three questions. <laughs> I don't know what yes. your response is. I I would say the number one is when you know I've had people say, "What happened to you?" <laughs> it's like, "What happened to you?" I mean. I and uh, and then I start to get people make assumptions. I said, "Oh, you know, my grandmother or my mom used a chair, and uh, know that you're, you know, make sure that give it time and you'll get better." And that sense of that if I'm not walking, that I'm not having a full life experience, and and for me. I, it's been a, it's been definitely what I've, the hardest thing for me has been accepting my diagnosis. And there is still stigma about, uh, about what I can and I can't do. And, you know, the, the, the hardest thing for me is I want to talk about my children I want to talk about my business. I want to talk about the things that I'm most passionate about. And yet it seems like that's the first thing that people see and then that's what they want to talk about. And therefore I've I've learned to answer the questions but to really get right to what's most essential and important and and uh, I, I feel probably the same for you, yes. Thank you for sharing, yeah. It's a good skill to have. Um, I'm always working on how can I exactly do that, answer people's questions and actually get to the, the essential things that I would wanna talk about. Right. Um, I mean, obviously being deaf is part of me, but it's not the only part of me. Yes. Mm, so I guess I'm really curious because you're a Southerner Growing up in Alabama, I grew up in Florida, and I didn't have a mosque or a Muslim community at all growing up. And therefore, I, my best friends were evangelical Christians because we shared in our love of God. We shared in our, they didn't drink, I didn't drink, they didn't do drugs. I mean, we really had that connection 
with each other and and therefore uh, my experience with Islamophobia has been um, much more as an adult after 9-11 in particular and I'm wondering at Gallaudet and for you for example have you ever been to a mosque have you ever uh, engaged with Muslims uh, on campus or out, outside of campus and and how what is the interfaith engagement that you've had so I actually haven't ever been to a mosque um, I, I imagine that that would be a very uh, enlightening experience but I'm also wary of going where I shouldn't go um, there are Muslim students on campus as you said and so uh, I run track actually with a fellow athlete who is Muslim um, and I have uh, peer mentors at Gallaudet who are, are Muslim and students. I'm a peer mentor, and so one of my students is Muslim. Um, there's something called the first year experience class where um, it's a freshman seminar uh, helping students get used to college life. And so this semester um, I was a TA, if you will, in, in one of those courses. And one of those students were Muslim and they had you know, very different experiences coming to college than some of the other students. So that was quite interesting to learn about. Um, we don't necessarily talk about religion, but you know, I do talk about how I can accommodate and meet their needs, make sure that we're learning from mm -hmm. each other. Um, yeah. Uh, how how is Gallaudet? Uh, I mean, what are they doing on campus in terms of interfaith engagement with between Halal and between the Muslim Student Association and for even the Christian uh, community and and others? Is there any interfaith uh, events or dialogues? Because as you know. There is uh, anti-Semitic, anti-Muslim bigotry, uh, and it's those two communities uh, when there's uh, anti-Semitism or anti-Muslim, uh, those two are sadly connected as Jews and, and well, Arabs are, are both the Semitic people. Thank you for the question. I think, you know, uh, with my team, we do try to think about ways that we can engage and collaborate with the different religious organizations on campus. We certainly want to promote inclusion and diversity, and we want people to, to engage with each other and respect people across a wide variety of backgrounds and beliefs. So that's um, kind of where we're coming from. I'm trying to think, I think maybe it was a year, maybe it was two years ago now, there was an interfaith LGBT gathering. Um, so people from all different religious backgrounds came and talked about their experiences being a member of the LGBT community and also mm. practicing their religion and spiritual traditions. Mm. Um, and it was quite powerful because in some cases it's quite difficult to do. Right. Yes, definitely. Definitely. One question I have for you, if you don't mind, maybe a little bit more religiously focused. Um, I grew up with the idea that people seeing me as a deaf person um, would always tell me that I would be fixed when I got to heaven, that I would become hearing. And I mm. didn't necessarily want to become hearing, so that was not a reassuring mm, mm. Um, kind of message. I wonder if you have any similar messages in mm. the Muslim community that people have tell, 
told you that in the next world or in heaven that you will be a walking person? Well, that's interesting because I do hear from, well, there's two things. One is when I was first diagnosed uh, and I was, my cousin in Saudi Arabia said, have a mektub that this was written from the day that I was born that God, Allah, uh, had, uh, had, I was destined uh, to have this challenge, to have multiple sclerosis, and that I, Andi, I have soeb, uh, uh, which means blessing, and that the struggle, the difference, the challenge that I face in my life in this world gives me extra blessing for uh, for when I meet Allah, God, and the Day of Judgment, and to heaven. And so there is a sense of this gives me a pass. <laughs> Doesn't mean that I can do anything I want, but... It at the same time, you know, for me, and I think probably quite different. I mean, I think of you, the you speak a different language, you know, and your different language is sign language. Uh, for me, it's a very different reality, just what it took for me to get out of bed and to have somebody uh, help me get dressed and, and to be able to lift me into this chair and then you know that there's so many other things that are more challenging whereas for you this is all you've known is that correct and that being deaf is just a part of you 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 know I don't know do you ever have to even think about it uh, perhaps that's why it's wonderful that you have Gallaudet, where you're in a majority culture of people who are deaf, right? That is true. Um, you're right. Um, I don't necessarily, when I'm thinking about where I'm going, I don't probably have the same kinds of considerations, certainly, that you do. That's, that's certainly true. I think my major challenge is just thinking about communicating with people out in the world. Yes. And so struggling with feeling uh, feelings of isolation, that's fairly common, mm. uh, inability to connect. Um, if someone's willing to communicate with me in some way, whether it's writing or, you know, sitting mm. with me in a quiet space, if, you know, lip reading, whatever, whatever it might take, then you can connect across those communication barriers. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm remembering there was a Jewish disability day of, advocacy and uh, one of the speakers had mentioned uh, that we are all made in the image of God but Salam Elohim um, and that includes people with disabilities that we are also made in the image of God mm. and I thought that was a, a fairly profound mm. statement it's kind of like you said you know these challenges maybe could be considered a blessing I don't mm -hmm. know yes I feel my identity as a Muslim is much deeper because of my multiple sclerosis, uh, because it's made me profoundly aware of what I have and what's with me. And I think before my disability, 
that I just took a lot for granted. And suddenly also I'm connected to a much wider, diverse community. I mean, being with you on this show, whereas otherwise, if I didn't have a mass and I didn't have uh, what I'm facing, I wouldn't get to meet people like yourself. I wouldn't be able to, I mean, I find myself connecting to people who have had people who are uh, in challenges due to a ski accident or they, and they've broken their legs or they suddenly have had a surgery and they just talk about what it's meant and how hard and, and then suddenly they realize that they look at me and they say, what am I complaining about? And I, I think just the sense of grace and humility that I've learned. Um, and so I say I'm the diversity poster child. You know, I'm a woman. I'm a Muslim. I'm Arab American. And I have a disability. So you can have me on your show any month of the year and I can speak about the various aspects of my identity. Um, but, and you know, we're, we are walking stereotype busters or bias busters because we want to model just in how we live our lives that we are here and can contribute in positive ways. I think, I think that's a, a, a beautiful, um, a beautiful point of this, this conversation, you know, really trying to to enlighten people about the things that we we see but maybe don't really see you mm -hmm. know that we 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 have a we have a we think we understand but really we don't have any understanding and whether it mm -hmm. has to do with religion or it has to do with um our our um different communities that we're a part of languages that we speak physical capacity whatever these things are um that's why that's why we we're interested in having having mm, these dialogues. Mm. And I think particularly, you know, it's interesting from I mean, I would I would say arguably um in both your cases, um uh, the what you said earlier Libby about about um uh disability is 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 an open enrollment uh, all year round, right? right? That's what you said. Um that's that's very impacting to, to, to hear hear you say that. It's a good reminder because we can't take <clears throat> things for granted. Tomorrow right. is not promised, right? right? And and whether we end up in a wheelchair or we 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 um, lose the use of one of our our, our main senses um, in an accident or, or illness or whatever the case may be, we may very well find ourselves tomorrow in the same situation right. that that we we could be dismissive of someone. Right. Um, the day before, so I really just I I want to honor and and acknowledge both of you for for being here with us today and, and thank you for that. Is there is there one thing that um, that either one of you uh, can can leave our listeners with something to take with them to think about um, as they're moving through the world as they're interacting with someone who is deaf um, mm -hmm. and then is is uh, uh, uses a wheelchair, Silas. 
I think, you know, that my only comment is we're just people like you. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, we are involved in life activities and we want to be happy mm -hmm. just like you do. Mm -hmm. I think greater is to, rather than fear offending, ask uh, and don't assume. You know, a large, significant number of people with disabilities are unemployed. And being able to be conscious of your unconscious bias and to be able to say that there is value in contrary. I mean, why would you not want somebody who's learned to navigate in a world that was not made for them? You know, that people with disabilities can come and show up and you don't even perhaps have to think about it at first, but all the skills and the contributions and not to think of it as a deficiency, but an asset. And I, I really feel in the workplace, particularly the value. And I've developed my own AAA. I say, you know, accept, adapt, achieve. Uh, that once, you know, people are accepting of whatever uh, their diversity or disability uh, and in life, but being able to adapt in order to achieve and live and, fu and fully be as um, someone in this world that is a positive part of our society at large. Well, thank you both, both of you for, for being here with us today. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you. Thank you. Very nice to meet you. Dear listeners, that's a wrap on this week's Interfaith-ish. I want to thank again my guest, Louis Ismail, president of Connecting Cultures, LLC, and Silas Kalam, a student leader with Hillel at Gallaudet University. And thank you also to our interpreters for helping out today. As always, I want to give a shout out to my fellow interfaith astronauts Miranda Hofmeyer and Sue Katz-Miller, and our musical maestro, Jeff Philosopher. And thank you, dear listeners, for spending your hour with us. You can find our entire back catalog of interfaith-ish episodes anywhere you listen to podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and rate our show. We're also on social media at interfaith-ish. And keep writing us about the interfaith-ish you wish to dish at interfaith-ish at gmail.com. That's I-N-T-E-R-F-A-I-T-H-I-S-H at gmail.com. And we now have a special listener line, 202-599-2953, where you can leave us voicemail. We continue to strive to push the limits of what we discuss on our shows and who we feature. So we want to hear what you think. What questions are these discussions inspiring at home and with your communities? What did you learn that was new? This was a particularly fascinating show, and I can't wait to hear your feedback. Interfaith-ish, we'll be back in two weeks. That's right, we'll have a new episode on Christmas Day, just because you've been good all year long. Until then, keep it locked to WOWD 94.3 FM for great music and programs seven days a week, streaming online at TacomaRadio.org.